0: Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author, Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. Hollywood has nothing on the Bible. Case in point, the story of Dinah, a miniseries if I ever heard of one. But this particular saga offers an important lesson for us today, and Dr. Jennings is here via Skype to share his thoughts on that Old Testament adventure. Dr. Jennings, what do we need to know?
1: Yeah, I'm so glad we're doing this one so close to the podcast we did on How Sin Spreads, because this is a very good example Mm -hmm. on how the sin problem actually spreads in real life historic story. Mm -hmm. And so if people aren't familiar with the story of Dinah, Dinah was one of Jacob's children and uh, she was the daughter of Leah and Jacob. And you can find this recorded in Genesis chapter 34. What happened is Jacob had just returned to Mesopotamia and settled in Canaan near the town of Shechem, and his daughter Dinah goes out to visit some of the young women of the town, and the crown prince, named Shechem for who the town was named after, sees her and sexually assaults her. But he becomes infatuated with her and wants to have her for his wife. And after the assault, he seems to demonstrate, according to scripture, remorse and regret and sought to comfort her. And she chose to stay in the city with him. And he then sent his father, the king, to Jacob to negotiate for her hand in marriage. And Shechem himself pleads with the family, promising to do whatever he can for the bride price and to make up for his actions that he wants to marry Dinah and take her as his wife. So Dinah's brothers, though, according to Scripture, respond deceitfully and tell Shechem that the only way they can allow Dinah to be his wife is if all the men of the city become circumcised. (laughs) And then they will grant their permission and they can all live together in peace. And so the king and the crown prince convince all the men to become circumcised because these are peace-loving men that can live in their community with them and become family with them. And so all the men are circumcised, and on the third day after the circumcision, when they're all feverish from the circumcision, Simeon and Levi, outraged at what happened to their sister Dinah, attack and kill all the men of the city, including Shechem and his father, the king. But they don't just kill them. Then they take all the possessions, all their wealth, their flocks, their gold, their herds, and their women and their children, and they make them indentured servants or slaves. (laughs) So Jacob is alarmed at this and fearful now that the other city-states in the region will attack them. And so he moves his family away from there. And so this story, here we have a very powerful story that can demonstrate to us kind of what we talked about in our previous podcast about the insidiousness of sin and how it spreads. And I wonder if we see Satan at work here. And if not, Let me spell it out. Yes, by all means. Step by step. Step one, Shechem sexually assaults Dinah, and evil is committed. Mm -hmm. Sin is done. Mm -hmm. But in this case, the sinner seems to be remorseful and regret his crime, does not run away from it or deny it or try to hide it. He goes to the family, acknowledges it. He seeks to give Dinah station and name and standing in this community by making her a princess of the region and making her his wife and paying a a bride price to the family, willing to live in peace and, and do what the family wants of him. So he seems to try and redeem himself from his impulsive bad act and pursue a peaceful course. The brothers, however, now having the evil seed of resentment planted in their hearts, have the seed unremedied. It sprouts. It comes to fruition. It causes them to be incensed and outraged and angry and offensive. They do not forgive. They do not seek a path of peace and reconciliation. They seek to expunge the evil by what method? The method of human force. That's the method. Let's destroy it. Let's kill. And now notice the things that they did. They deceived, breaking the ninth commandment. Mm -hmm. They murdered, breaking the sixth commandment. They dishonored their father, breaking the fifth commandment. They used the sign of God's covenant, the circumcision, to do evil, thereby taking the name of the Lord in vain, breaking the third commandment. They stole property, breaking the eighth, and they coveted, breaking the tenth. Oh, man. Seriously. They covered them all. Then think of all the innocents in that city who were not part of Shechem's act. Who were harmed by Simeon and Levi as they sought to punish the wrongdoer, to set the wrong right, to exterminate the evil, to change the society to one they thought would be better. How much of this do we see happening in the world today where an actual wrong was done, an evil was done? Maybe there was a remorse. Maybe there wasn't remorse from the perpetrator. But then others are incensed at having seen or become aware of this evil, and they seek to make it right, to do justice. But the way they seek to do justice is by using the methods of the evil one, Mm. coercion, force, murder pillaging, stealing, violence, but we'll all call it the name of justice because a wrong was done, and we've got to change society, and we've got to make it right. This is such a significant trap of Satan, and so many people are caught up in it today, pursuing what they believe is a just cause by
0: using unjust, violent methods. Boy, I can certainly see why God says vengeance is mine. He he knew that we wouldn't handle it too well if we had any kind of sense of vengeance and we were evil people. Am I right in saying that? I love the fact you just brought that up because uh, now you've exposed something we have to delve into. When you
1: hear the word vengeance... What law lens are you hearing that through? Mm. Are you hearing it through the worldly law lens? A wrong was done, yeah, and the right thing to yeah, do is punish yeah. or take vengeance upon. So, vengeance is making someone pay. Or do you hear it under design law? God is creator, and his laws are the laws upon which reality are built. And so, vengeance in that way is never taking vengeance upon the wrongdoer, it's taking vengeance upon the disease of sin. So, a doctor takes vengeance upon the smallpox virus or upon the cancer cells, destroying the cancer, but the doctors never seek to destroy the cancer patient or the person struggling with the illness. They want to destroy the illness, eradicate it completely. And thus, if you read in Isaiah chapter 1, God says, I will take vengeance upon you. I will purge away your sin and remove your dross. Okay, and so God's form of vengeance is to cleanse us from fear, selfishness, sin,
0: hatred, bitterness, hostility, not to kill people who have actually done wrong. Well, that puts the Old Testament in a very different light when we use the filter or the lens, as you say, of God and looking at things. Suddenly, those words that the Old Testament writers use have a very different meaning. Am I right? Well, the Old Testament
1: wrote it that way. The problem is throughout history, there has been this false assumption that God's law functions like human law. So in Old Testament times, God has his spokespersons constantly coming and just read them, read Isaiah, read Hosea, read these different writers, and you will see that God's justice is always about delivering the oppressed, never punishing the oppressor. The problem was the religious people liked the idea that they could create laws and that they could enforce those laws, and if they had power, they could punish lawbreakers. And so this idea of an imperial dictator God has been the predominant view of God throughout religions of the world, and the three most successful religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, have doubled down on that and really created an imperial lawgiver who must punish you for lawbreaking in order to promote their power over others in this world. That's the highest form that human governments can take law and order and punishing lawbreakers, but it's a complete misrepresentation of our creator God, who is revealed most perfectly in Jesus, who sent his son not
0: to punish us, but to give his life in order to heal and save us. I hear a lot of what you as a physician would support 100%, and that is the whole idea of prevention. If you can prevent a disease, you're not going to be suffering from that disease. Is that what God is doing? He is trying to prevent sin as opposed to just trying to heal it? The prevention was in Eden, when he warned
1: Adam and Eve, and the day you eat, you will surely die. Uh-huh. Don't partake, prevent. Don't go down this trail. Once Adam and Eve partook, there is no prevention of sin in humanity. All are born in sin, conceived in iniquity. So now, after they fail to prevent the infection of sinfulness into humankind, the entire plan of salvation is remedial. It is to heal and free us, cure us, give us a new heart and right spirit to cut out of our hearts sin, circumcision of the heart by the Holy Spirit, to take out the hard, sinful heart, the heart of stone, and put in a tender, loving heart, the heart of flesh. So all the bible metaphors are now restorative,
0: regenerative, recreative, remedial, healing, not preventative. So that prevention ship had sailed at Eden and from now on it is trying to heal, to to save, to redirect now, is that right? That is correct. Now, you
1: could argue the prevention in the prevention of more injury to other people and more damage to other people, but the sin condition is still in every human heart and mind, and God wants to prevent us from spreading it or doing more harm via those methods, for sure,
0: but that doesn't actually prevent the sin condition itself. It already is here in all of our hearts. right, very good. So we need to, in our evangelism and in our sharing, we need to come at this thing as a healing ministry, as a ministry of love, as a ministry of of regeneration, of restitution, as opposed to, you know, let's let's just keep you from sinning. No, we're all sinners. Let's find ways through this sin. Am I right in saying that?
1: You throw words out there that can have multiple meanings. You threw the word out restitution. Well, restitution can have a righteous meaning if we're restoring to the one to whom harm has been done, Mm. and we can restore to them what's been taken from them, restore their good name if we have sullied their name and gossiped about them, restore to them the $50 we've taken from them, restore their property, etc. So that is true. Unfortunately, there is uh, this false element of restitution that some people are trying to make false guilt where we are supposed to restore stuff to people from whom it was never taken by people who never took it. And thus, this creates a whole nother layer of actual exploitation under
0: the guise of restitution which is false all right very good well dr jennings we have a couple minutes left here in the program the story of Dinah. what's our takeaway how do you want us to live differently and think differently from this moment forward
1: so the story of Dinah is just a powerful example of how wrong can be done and how the seeds of sinfulness Hatred, bitterness, resentment can be planted in hearts, and that we then have the responsibility not to let them grow and go down the trail of believing fraudulently that we can prevent Mm -hmm. sinfulness or promote righteousness by applying the methods of coercion, force, punishment, infliction, retaliation. In other words, you can never win God's cause by using Satan's methods. You can't do it. And thus you can never get righteousness in a society through using the power of human governments or states. And so many people today, whether you're left or right, it doesn't matter. They're both have philosophical worldviews that they think that they can bring about a better world by using the power of the state to make it happen. And it is a trap. It will only cause more violence, more conflict, more rebellion, and more hostility in our society. You just can't do it. So the message here is that you can only achieve righteousness through the methods of God, truth, love, freedom. And when wrongs are done, we forgive those so that we don't become embittered. But that doesn't necessarily mean we trust them. We seek to bring them to redemption so that they can become trustworthy if they're willing to participate. Otherwise, we set up boundaries and we don't associate with them.
0: All right. Listener, commonreason.com is the website Dr. Jennings has made available a lot of resources there, books and television programs and podcasts, and I want you to stop by sometime and, and learn about a product called The Remedy. I want you to just check that out. You can you can go to commonreason.com and uh, search for The Remedy there, and you're going to find a beautiful resource that you are going to use on a daily basis. That's at commonreason.com. Dr. Jennings, as always, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Charles. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together.